Welcome to the fifth episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I will be talking with Brian, construction tech and marketing manager with Struction Site, about how 360-degree cameras are becoming the new standard for site photos. Before we jump in, a word from our sponsor for this episode, Shingle. Get back in the office now. And sorry, we're not going to have a fully remote policy. You've got to come in. Wait just a second. If you've ever thought, I kind of like working full-time remote. I know what I'm doing. I work independently. All my work is on my computer. Why do I need to drive to the office every day? If only there was some sort of alternative. Surprise, you're going to want to know about a new technology company called Shingle. Are you an engineer that has an interest in entrepreneurship? Have you ever thought about stepping out on your own as an engineer or making some additional income with your engineering skills? Are you tired of moving and uprooting your life for a new job or battling an unnecessary commute? Would you like to be an engineer on your own terms? Shingle is an online marketplace where PEs can find and remotely engage with AE firms in the Shingle network that need their services as a consultant. The platform is specifically built for PEs and CAD professionals in architecture and engineering that want to move in the direction of entrepreneurship, work as much as they want, and have the freedom to work where they choose. Shingle wants the consultants to succeed and provides resources to get their companies up and running quickly. Get started on your road to entrepreneurship and engineering by going to shingleit.com. Again, that's shingleit.com and join the community today. Shingle, we work differently. Brian, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, Nick. Been excited. Great to have you here with us today. To get us kicked off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? I'm newer to the construction technology side, so I work for a construction site now, but previously I worked both in the field as an assistant super and then also as the technology manager for a GC up in Boston called Consigli. Amazing company. And then I wanted to move to New York, so I you know, talked with construction site and I ended up Jumping into this space, I kind of made this role called a solutions marketing manager, where right now I, I do what I did at Consigli, where I help GCs with kind of like use cases, different scenarios, different verticals, and kind of like building out workflows for them to actually use the product in its top capability. And as we know, and part of the reason why you're here today, right? So Struction Site, 360 cameras, not all the fun is just for the GCs, right? So engineers, architects, and really anyone can kind of get in and, and start using the tool. So why don't we get into it? Brian, how can 360 cameras make an impact on architectural and engineering projects? The other day I was on Twitter and there was a thread going around like, tell me you're an architect just using one photo. And it was screenshots of all these architects, camera rolls, just hundreds and hundreds of photos, right? And, you know, Whenever they do a site walk or an engineer, you do a site walk, it's very common just to take a ton of photos, you know, capture whatever you can, take whatever notes you can. And there's not really like a SOP or process on that per se on it being the most efficient, but it works for a lot of people for right now. I think one of the things that have changed and how 360 cameras kind of got introduced is how do you take a single photo, have more 
context in it. So instead of taking that one photo on an iPhone, you're capturing the entire view of a mechanical room or a transition detail above ceiling on you know how you're going to tie into an existing mechanical system. It's pretty much just it, like speeding up the rate of context using the same amount of effort. Absolutely. And speaking from experience, that's exactly right. In our case, on the engineering side, right, you're, you're going around site, you're taking a bunch of photos, but you have no way to tie them back to the plan beyond kind of what's in the mind's eye here. And it just becomes just like you said, a mess in that camera roll of stuff that you know, right? But then it becomes difficult to communicate to other stakeholders clearly without you being present and walking them through let's say that camera roll. So I'm a proponent of 360 photos. I think they are a real game changer for us here in the the AE space. It's actually interesting how much of like a lot of the messaging we do isn't just on why to use Struction Site, which is kind of like the step two process, but why to even use a 360 camera. Like our biggest competitor isn't any other competitor in the AEC space. Our biggest competitor right now is the iPhone camera roll. If you really, really dig deep and think about it, right? Like I live in New York City, I see five or six cranes, right? If I were to go to any of these sites and ask them if they have a 360 camera, if they've even seen it to whatever capacity, the answer is really a toss up. So I think just people getting exposed to 360 cameras before even learning about Structure Site is pretty much like one of the main goals right now for a lot of our messaging. The way I see kind of all of this flowing with solutions like Structure Site is, is that 360 camera is almost like that Tony Stark arm, right? You've got a great product in, in an iPhone, snapping 2D photos right out of your pocket, but then you add this, this tool, this 360 camera that gives full context to them and complements them really nice. And we both know where the technology sits today, right? You can't take a 360 photo in the same quality you can with an iPhone 14. The technology is just not there yet. However, it does play a very valuable role in the process. So we've got iPhones, we've got 360 cameras, and there's tons of reality capture equipment out there. So how are you approaching projects with, say, like a problem and then finding the solution, right? Because every project's going to be a little bit different in that process. I think the easiest way I usually break it up. So if you were to say, hey, let's have a GC, we want to start implementing technology, where do we start? I usually kind of break it up by vertical. So the way you approach problems in hospital projects and renovation projects in that space is very different from how you approach a historic preservation project. Very often, you know, there's just this blanket statement that like you can use this on everything, which you can. It's just more about the metrics and the goals of each are very different and how you use it is very different, right? So if I have an existing hospital renovation project, I should be taking above ceiling photos pretty early on and using that to communicate with the design teams versus historic preservation. You know, I may just need to fly a drone close up on the facade, use that to do a lot of like the planning on, you know, what type of restoration we're going to be doing. Best way I'd answer it is, is look at the vertical, break it up that way. Talk with each of those PXs because those are the ones who truly know, you know, they've had enough years in the business and also what their current projects needs are. And then just start there. Start like, all right, where are the communication issues? So I guess with 360 cameras, specifically instruction site, the way I like to break it down is kind of three use cases. So remote collaboration, right? Like, are you sending emails right now? Is it 15 emails back and forth, which is classic. Like, that's just how we were taught how things are. So it's not seen as a problem per se. It just 
until you see kind of what you can't have. So remote collaboration, second one is scheduling. So like, how are you using your current photos to help you either track progress? Classic way is print out a floor plan, right? Like a roofing plan, take a highlighter, say, okay, X amount of square feet was done today. You write the date, you highlight that box. The next day you go on, you keep doing that. So it's just kind of like, all right, how do we using these photos to actually track schedule and use it predictively in the future? And then last one's just kind of like change management. So change orders, RFIs, uh, time and material slips, kind of using all that to verify things. Kind of in that order, I'd say. The equipment on the engineering side, right, to those PXs or project executives on the construction side are our principals or our senior engineering leadership where they understand the problems at a deep level. And what we found kind of here at Structure Care is that to be the case, they understand the problems, even if they aren't in the nitty gritty of the day to day. So then it's up to folks like you and me, right? We're coming with a solution to solve that problem with the guidance of somebody who's been in the field for 20, 30 plus years and and really knows what's going on. But as we know, kind of taking that first step from, hey, here's the traditional way we're doing it. Now we're moving into some sort of technology for say like one person or a select pilot group, right? So how are you taking that very new process and then scaling it throughout an entire company? Realistically, it, it should happen naturally, right? If the return of, and I like to say return of time rather than return of investment, because it's it's harder to quantify investment return because there's a lot of like qualitative insights, right? Like how do you quantify a better owner experience? Like, how do you know if that owner came back to work with you? Because that was one of the many factors that went into it, but it wasn't the only factor, right? So it's hard to be like X amount of dollars was returned. So I'd say return of time. If you just do a side-by-side of the users are asking for it because it's saving them time, that should be enough qualitative data to be like, all right, we should be taking this more seriously. And then when you actually start running the numbers, right? I did a did like an analysis where... If you were to take an iPhone and go capture a $20 million project, say three floor building, and you had to take individual 360 photos and then manually pin them to floor plans, it's going to cost you about like $5,000 in labor time at like a $70 rate to only capture like two or three phases. Track the time of what you're currently doing, then track how long it takes you to do with the new process. And then that time difference should be essentially your return of investment, at least to begin with. But I would say qualitative insights at first are probably going to be your biggest driving factor. Like, does the field like it? Are they picking up and using it multiple times? But also, do they understand why they're doing it? And are they giving you insights to be like, all right, this is something we should take more seriously or just focus in on and and think about the rest of the company? Those are kind of the right success leaves clues. And those are the types of clues that we've seen where even though we may not be able to drill down into the specific dollar amounts or hours, because it's maybe a little too early in the pilot, or we just don't have that data available to us, those, um, as you said, qualitative clues are, are really good to get started. But you mentioned the point of does the field like it or or essentially are the front lines or are the primary users getting into it? But let's say you know you're running this pilot, right? What strategies are you thinking to make sure that those operations people have success up front and say, just don't throw the 360 camera on the shelf or say, you know, this is too hard or I don't have time for this? Would say, honestly, the biggest thing is just transparency. There is a small learning curve, but you should see results in very quickly after you capture the first time. 
pretty much after the first time they capture and they see their photos kind of like auto organized is usually like, like their response is like, okay, wow, like this is actually awesome. This is saving me time. For example, like say with you, right? When we were exploring the product, we started breaking down like how the current people who are taking the photos are communicating with people in the office or who's doing the processing on these photos or like investigating, you know, marking them for deficiencies, et cetera. And actually being able to break out like what's necessary for an engineer that is seasoned and what isn't necessary for them and could be pushed to somebody who can just use a 360 camera and go capture in the field, getting more use out of somebody who has years of experience in the engineering field. That's a huge problem the entire industry faces. And I've seen senior engineers, right, sitting at a desk and drafting just a total misuse of their skill level. And to your point, right, we actually had one of our senior engineers just pick up his phone and just start using the product and it clicked immediately. Like, oh, I don't have to go back to the office and organize all my photos. I already did that in the field, right? And then it, it makes it so that you can have a better use case for a skill set that, that otherwise could have been misused doing work that other competent and skilled individuals can do, but you don't necessarily need a license and engineering background and 20 years of, of very specific experience to do. For example, when you were previously probably going into a field with just your typical iPhone. Every photo you took was intentional and pinpointed. So did require some sort of prior knowledge to understand that this is something I need to, to mark. Whereas you can use a 360 camera and it's capturing everything very passively where someone who can remotely same walk that same site without having to travel X amount of time to the site, and then they can pinpoint. But even saving that say two hour drive back and forth, is still two hours. And then having to organize what that deliverable looks like after is also another time that that gets used, right? So my personal philosophy coming from the engineering side is there may not be a way for like the lead engineer to skip out on a, a physical site visit entirely, right? However, if you can reduce their on-site time by 20, 50, even you know, upwards of that percent, you're doing them a real good service because a lot of the times when I talk to engineers in general, right? A lot of the time they're spending on site is doing kind of monotonous and tedious tasks. Still important, still need to be done, but with the power of technology could be handed off to somebody else after they've gotten comfortable kind of with the scope of work, right? Developed it with their team on site, and then they're free to go do something else while their team kind of fills in for them back on site. I mean, let me even flip that, right? Instead of reducing even the time that they're on site, they can just have better value on the time that they're on site. So say they're already there, they're going to be there for eight hours, but how much of that time is spent taking a photo, writing down the photo number, marking up a plan, right? Like very quick task, takes a couple seconds, but those seconds add up over years, years add up over the rest of your future of your company. How much time is literally just being spent doing things that aren't necessarily needed? And that's kind of the whole point of technology, right? Like just reducing tasks that could necessarily just be automated, that don't require someone to really have a PE license to do. And then think about all of the data that then becomes at, available at your fingertips, right? So, you know, a lot of SaaS applications, right? Web-based, very simple to use, very easily accessible. And then we start getting into, well, you know, before I just had a 
dumb photo on my iPhone, right? Maybe it gives some metrics about like where it was taken, when it was taken, right? The type of camera, but no real engineering data associated with it. Could you talk a little bit about how the data, and it could be either from like the engineering side or from the GC side is being used in a way that wasn't always possible before? I'll give you an easy one. End of a project, no matter who, you know, what side you're on, end of a project, you should do some sort of like a lessons learned or a debrief of how the project went. How do those photos or past projects help you approach the next project? Right? Like if you have a garage that has some type of very intricate type of system or something that is like a specific challenge, right? For example, I did a project with prefabricated bathroom pods. First time we did it at, at the company I was at, we had very good documentation of how that process went weekly, if not, you know, sometimes daily during like the high times. When they go to do another project, they're able to reference that along with a document on a lessons learned of things we should, you know, make sure that we think about also going forward. So I say lessons learned, like when projects are done, they are very, it's more difficult to go back to a project four or five years ago and, and learn from it without having the people who were on that project there. The reason it's easy to have somebody like, for example, like a project executive or, you know, vice president, because they've been here for the last, every one of those projects along the way, and they remember everything, but how do we get access to that same information if they say, for example, retire or they aren't around, or we just don't have, you know, don't even feel comfortable to email them, right? Like, how do I just go use some information that's available to me? So I'd say that like future planning, that's for sure. Data is going to be big on that. Going back through old photos and understanding like, okay, what was our schedule showing and what was the reality of those dates being entered in? Going forward on future planning, estimation, looking backward to look forward is pretty much where it could be used. And the way that you know the technology today is displaying it is totally different, right? Before you're digging through file folders on either like SharePoint or through File Explorer for us Windows users, right? And these photos are unorganized, they're buried, they're hard to find. Now, what kind of the new way um, of using tools like Structure Insight is it just it intuitively makes sense and is organized in a way where you can, without really too much background or training, just say, yeah, I know I took that photo over there or, okay, there, I know I'm looking in this area, kind of let me review. And it really narrows down and focuses your search to a point that really just wasn't easily accessible previously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just that, but even the concept of finding photos, if they're uploaded is one thing, but the amount of people that churn out a company and go to another company and all those photos just die in the camera roll is also another problem that I don't think it's thought about enough. The amount of photos that was on my phone, you know, I made sure to upload everything before I left, but I could have very easily just handed the phone over. And if that camera, if that dies on my personal phone, or I just kind of ends with that person, there's no one place for everyone to look for a photo. Moving through this process that we talked, right? There's the traditional way we're doing things in AEC engineering in particular. We're kind of moving to this new model using tools like like construction site and other other pieces of construction technology, like how does that feedback process look both internally to the companies that are using them and then the clients that are getting the end deliverable? Both like the feedback loop of seeing if a product is working usually just depends on the personality of the person in the field. 
you have some people who are just more outgoing who are going to call you up if you're in the VDC department and say, this tool is awesome, right? Like I use it for this, this, and this. But very often, you know, a personality from a lot of the people that I've particularly worked with, they're not there to pat themselves on the back. They solve very complex problems every single day. Like it's nothing. They're like, oh, figured it out onto the next one. It's not like, all right, let's celebrate this. You know, let's celebrate that I was able to do. It's not a thank myself type of personality. A lot of these people in these roles. Sometimes you do have to set up some type of cadence and help extract a lot of that information and also help prepare that internal marketing. If this tool was able to help you, one of the biggest feedback loops is the fact that they may not say anything to you for the one year that they've used it, but then they're on their next project and they're like, yeah, set me up with a license. And it catches you by surprise. You're like, I didn't even know if this was working for you or how it was doing. And they're like, yo, it was great. I want it again. That's probably your easiest feedback loop is return of if your field teams are asking you for for the next project. And then there's other ones where for internal marketing, if you're trying to scale, just visiting teams and just getting very qualitative insights. So do you like using the tool, et cetera? Would you recommend it to someone else within the company? And typically it's like, yeah, this is great. You know, so-and-so it'll happen naturally on its own, you know, amongst people in the field at a company. But if you want to expedite that to get a higher return of an investment, then you definitely want to approach multiple field teams at once. So I usually would say if it's working on two to three good projects, then bring it to like a project executive meeting or bring it to a superintendent meeting for the entire company or a division. And then do more of a showcase on how this was able to be useful for a project. I would do showing over anything before you approach like a very large division. You hit on a couple of great points there, Brian. One just being literally just asking people because sometimes people are just, they're too busy, caught up in whatever they're doing, right? The task at hand. And they're not taking the time to give you the feedback to no fault of their own, but it's just something you need to go look out for. And, and one thing I've kind of noticed is that getting that feedback on teams that are primarily remote versus teams that are more in person. Do you have any thoughts on, say, like best practices to bring a group together virtually versus, hey, like, you know, they're already seeing each other on site every day. So it's not as big of an ask. It depends how high you want to go up in in the chain, right? Because if technology or use cases and things like that are being talked at the operational level, it's made all the way up and saying, hey, you know, what are we going to do this next quarter or future planning on how we're going to, you know, help educate internally? That's one direction if you have that buy-in. But you also just have the grassroots option of people in the field teams are going to be naturally talking about the product. It really honestly depends on the company, the way they kind of perceive technology as a whole. Sometimes, you know, there's been companies that have tried technology and it's created more of a burden for them than it has a benefit, which at that point, it's not a technology. It's just a reporting, like a just a reporting product. I would say uh, tread lightly, just show up consistently, make sure that people there understand that you're actually have something that's been vetted and used before and has provide other teams value within the company. And then, you know, just meet them kind of where they want to be at. You know, you can't really force someone to want to completely do something completely differently, but if they're at least using the tool at its minimum viable ability of just organizing the photos, 
that's a win to begin with. And then on the next project, it's going to be like, all right, how can we use this next? And that's kind of the same process that that I've personally used, right? I'm just learning something new every time I open the app. But you also brought up another great point that senior leadership or project executives a little bit earlier, right? Because they're ultimately the ones that are going to be making the decisions. They're going to be spending the dollars on a product like Structure Site. So we talked about the approach of getting the ops individuals to buy in and use it. So what strategy are you using to basically market it up and say, hey, this is a really great tool and I think this is why we should use it? That's a tough one, right? Because at the end of the day, people are just people and they have their own perceptions on anything. There's a case to be made. If the field teams enough are asking for it and the only restriction is figuring out how to pay for it, it would be like not allowing somebody to have an iPad in the field. If they're like, hey, you know, I need this to look at drawings, but we don't know how to pay for this right now, then that's something that should be addressed immediately. Like if, if the teams want it, then operations will naturally be like, all right, you know, this is getting enough implementation, enough use that we should really address this and figure out how to pay for it, whether we're billing the owner or paying for it internally and, you know, depending on how they want to go about it. It's more of a complicated question. I mean, it's usually with at least our product, it's a combination of both. Somebody at a higher level engaging with us and saying, I have interest, let's pilot out on one project. You really honestly need both sides. You can't just have a ground up approach or a top down approach. It kind of has to be both. And that really just depends on how good your product is. If you can't get either or can't get one of the two, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle no matter what you're going, what you're trying to do. On the engineering side, right? Like we kind of talked about earlier, getting buy-in from the top early is critical because they may not be the ones using it, but they're definitely going to be willing to hear out anything that's going to make their business more efficient, more profitable, et cetera. So Brian, we've talked today about a number of things, right? We started with 360 cameras, We've moved into how technology is changing kind of the AEC space we live in. And we've also talked about how products like Structure Insight, yes, centered around 360-degree cameras, but are so much more. Are there any other final or closing thoughts that you'd like to give on either the product, the context space, application by the community, anything that's on your mind? I would say right now, you can't see hearing labor shortage, labor shortage, labor shortage. And people think that just throwing more people at the problem is 100%. Obviously, and I think with anything, right? Like you throw more people at the problem, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get solved because it's a lot of it has to do with skill, right? And you're dealing with, I've seen teams of three or four people can produce more than a team of eight that doesn't have the training or didn't have the experience, et cetera. Another way to approach this, like we don't have enough people to work on enough projects that we're winning. Another approach to that could also be of, are we using every single person to their max productivity or are they doing a lot of tasks that aren't necessarily needed? Could we take up something off their plate and outsource that? Or could we scale an APM across two projects by remotely viewing both using 360 photos? And how are we currently scaling and optimizing for our current employees and making sure that they're not doing things? You know, it's very easy to, once you're in the middle of something, just to keep doing things the way you're doing it because you don't really have the time to stop and think. 
be like, is this the best way that we're approaching something? So I think that comes down to, are we at 100% max efficiency for every single person that we have? How are we providing them resources to either scale what they're currently doing to speed up processes? Just another approach to that problem I think about constantly, right? Like this concept of the digital builder or, you know, how are we scaling current people? Even like that one to two hours for a quality control manager to go drive to your site to look at something, right? If that didn't need to be in person and could have been virtually through a 360 photo, that one hour adds up. That's pretty much the note I'll, I'll end on there. Significantly, right? And what we're seeing, right, is people like you, where you have this cross-functional skill set of understands the business, understands construction, but also understands the technology, right? And you're bringing those two together. And I think that skill set is going to become more and more critical as we move into this digital world of, of construction technology, right? Because I see it all the time and it is human nature where people can get, you know, frustrated or or a little bit scared of, of what's new to come, right? But having someone to basically say, hey, like I'm on your side. I know what it's like to be in the field, but I also know this stuff like the back of my hand here, let me show you. And that coupled with what you just commented on, right? I think is a great formula for success for any firm. Technology, I think right now, a lot of people see it as a burden because it's just another thing that we kind of have to adapt to. But I would approach it also from the same mindset of if there's other companies that are investing and actually actively looking at doing things and they're, they've been doing this for years, right? Like when I was at Consigli, I brought instruction site in 2018, probably like, yeah, beginning of 2018, which doesn't sound like that long ago, but we're in 2022, right? So this is not something that happened last week. It's been happening for years and continually happening. Just talking to other people at other companies, if you if you have the option to, and just saying like, what are you doing? Why are you focusing so much on this? And the business use case will kind of work itself out as you start testing it out. But it's very hard to predict ahead of time how your business will 100% change because of this one piece of technology. It's something you kind of have to monitor along the way. And also just throw a little, you know, some research and development money into testing things out, piloting things. And then just seeing them through. The monitoring is going to be more important than how much money do we spend on this if we can't make the case right away, how it's 100% going to impact our business. I think there's other industries we can learn from that, put money into research and development into their companies. That's key that you said that, Brian, because I think we both know, right, with the speed of technology, it's foolish to not at least understand what your options are and give them a world, even if you decide to just go back to your old ways, because time, you know, you said, you know, four years ago, but imagine the pace of acceleration for that four years with technology now versus just traditional process, right? As a company that doesn't invest any time or money into technology exploration, research and development, et cetera, you could be left further behind than just, you know, that usual track of time. But Brian, it was great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, what's the best way to get in touch with you if they have any questions? LinkedIn, or you can just honestly send me an email. I'd love to talk more with people in the architecture and engineering space. I studied my undergrad in civil engineering. That was the route I was going to go, but you know, my family brought me into the construction side. Yeah. So Brian with an I at structionsite.com 
is uh, my email or just find me on LinkedIn. We'll have some more information kind of in the show notes, uh, just in case you are driving or couldn't quite write that down. But as we always offer at the end of, of every episode, right? We're here to help you through kind of the process of exploring and finding new technologies, right? As are all of our guests, we're all here to help. So please just reach out at any time and we'll do what we can to help. But Brian, thank you again. Pleasure having you on. Thank you, Nick. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you all the best in your engineering and technology endeavors. Thank you.